to our Blue Notes podcast channel. Join us as we chat with experts, analysts and commentators from the Asian region about business, culture and economics. We hope you enjoy the discussions. You can join the conversation by commenting on our website or on SoundCloud. In our latest podcast, Blue Notes Managing Editor Andrew Cornell speaks with the Reserve Bank of Australia Assistant Governor Michelle Bullock about the bank's latest survey of the ways Australians spend. We talk about cards, mobile payments, cash, and what the future may hold. Hello, Michelle, and thank you for speaking with Blue Notes. We're going to talk about your latest um, How Australians Pay evidence from the 2016 Consumer Payment Survey. And Michelle, you're the Assistant Governor Financial Systems at the Reserve Bank, and thanks again. My pleasure, Andrew. Uh, Michelle, this is, I think, the you've been doing these surveys since 2007, so this is this is the fourth survey of our spending habits. That's correct. So we started in 2007, um, and gradually over that time, we have changed a bit to reflect developments in the payment system. But one of the important things is it's the only reading we really get on how people use cash in a day-to-day sense. And it's interesting because the long-term trends, uh, and I think even there was a little bit of ad hoc work done before you started in 2007, the long-term trends are people moving away from cash and checks towards electronic, and that, that still seems to be the very broad trend. That's still a very broad trend, and um, one of the interesting conundrums about this is that although these sorts of surveys show use of uh, cash as a percentage of transactions is declining, the actual number of banknotes outstanding is still going up. So, so, th- so th- there's two issues here. One is how are people transacting with cash, which is what we get out here, and then there's also cash as a store of value, which is some of what we try to also get at in the questions in the survey. Uh, and that's interesting because the Reserve Bank had some work, um, I, I think towards the end of last year, about cash being held as a, a store of value. And, and, of course, there's a lot of talk about whether people are hoarding or avoiding tax or whether it's to do with the black economy. But those those holdings of cash, do you, do you sort of understand them in enough detail, do you think? We don't really understand them in enough detail, and that's the nature of cash. Um, what we find, what we know from this survey is that there are a lot of people who hold cash as a store of value, they hold it in places other than their wallet. And when you ask them why they hold it, they say for emergency reasons or they say for budgeting purposes. So there's sorts of reasons people, some people like to to hold a bit of cash and feel uncomfortable if they don't have some in their wallet. Having said that, there's actually a reasonable chunk of people who say they hold no cash at all in their wallet anymore. And the the trends that we see in, in this Surveys, you say the broad trends are, are continuing as people make more payments on credit cards and debit cards and less payments with cash. But within that, there, there's some interesting trends. It looks like the, the youngest generation that has been surveyed use debit cards a lot more than credit cards, and then the older generation uses cash a lot more than cards. Is that sort of broadly how the demographic? Yeah, broadly. So, so in a in a demographic sense. Um, All demographic um, cohorts, if you like, are seeing decreases in the use of cash and rises in the use of cards. But relatively, older demographics tend to use cash more than younger demographics. Um, There's another thing that's going on as well here, which is um, that 
traditionally lower value transactions tend to be done by cash and higher value transactions on cards. What we're seeing over time is that the the median value of the, of the cash transaction or the average value is declining. And in the recent survey, the big driver there is the development of contactless tap-and-go transactions. So what we're observing there is that um, it's very quick. You can make a very quick low-value transaction, whereas in the past, if you had to stick your credit card in and put in your pin, it's a bit slow. You thought, well, I'm not going to bother doing that for a cup of coffee. Now you can. You can do that for a tap-and-go. So what we're observing in the new survey is a movement towards lower-value transactions being done by credit and debit cards. And do you think that is just the convenience? Because, it, I mean, these sorts of chip cards, I can remember in the 90s there was stored-value chip cards that were being trialled and they never really took off. Is there something different now that has made tap-and-go so successful? Yes, I think there is a big difference now, and, and it's really a demonstration of what I'd call the network effect of payments. So I think the difference uh, back in the 90s, and I remember this myself, uh, was that you were being issued with cards, but there weren't many merchants that took them. So you didn't tap very often because it just, it just wasn't obvious who took them. I think the big change was when the major uh, chains, particularly the big supermarkets, started taking tap. And once that happened and people had the, the tap and go in their hand, then the network effect kicked in. And people became familiar with it and they started to use it. So even as recently as the 2013 survey, you know, tap and go was sort of happening, but not near as much as it is now. In fact, around two thirds of all card payments now are contactless. So I think it's a really powerful demonstration of the network effect that you need both sides, merchants and consumers involved in order for something to take off. Yeah, I mean, it, it really is amazing how quickly tap-and-go has taken off. But in a way, this is what happened with FPOS too, wasn't it? Back in, what, that, the 80s, I think, when you needed the big supermarkets and the big petrol stations to accept it before it would take off. Yes, and as I said, that, that really just demonstrates how important network effects are in payments. If people don't get opportunities to use these new payment systems... Uh, because merchants perhaps don't yet take them, or alternatively, merchants might take them if people aren't really haven't really got the cards in their hands. So the whole thing's a little bit circular. You need everything coming together at once. Uh, and we're sort of perhaps on the cusp then of a, another development. And I, I heard you speaking the other day on radio, and you said you moved beyond cards and you now use your phone to make payments. Um, the, the phone payment, you know, whether it's Android Pay, Apple Pay. These sorts of things are even, you know, a little bit more convenient and a little bit more secure. But is that enough that we'll see wholesale shift onto mobile payments, do you think? I think in this survey there wasn't many mobile payments. So the survey was done at the end of last year. And this, again, I think is something that over time will, will gather some steam. At the moment, you'd know that, um, for example, Apple Pay is only offered by a few banks. Some offer Android Pay and, and um, Samsung Pay. So these sorts of things, I think, will gather a bit of more, more momentum as other banks offer them. Um, of course, the merchants already have the technology to take these payments because they just tap, pay, tap and go payments, contactless payments. So really what needs to happen for this to take off is for the issuers to start promoting it with their with their consumers. 
Interestingly, in the survey, we did ask people um, whether or not they were using mobile payments, and some of them said, uh, well, we've already got payment instruments, we're happy with them, we don't need to use the phone. Personally, I think it will probably um, start to take off. I think people will find it convenient, um, but it will depend on issuers actually offering this functionality. Mm. And that, that is the issuers as well as the, the uh, merchant base, but as you say, if, I think it is true, anything that accepts a tap-and-go card will accept a, a tap-and-go phone, won't it? Pretty much, yeah, yeah. that's right. So it, it really is dependent upon the issuers, issuers getting it out there. I mean, one of the, the other factors, too, uh, in these network effects is, is the choice of merchants about what they will and won't accept. And on the one hand, we have surcharges, which obviously influence behaviour, but increasingly we're also seeing the, the opposite in the sense that there's more merchants who refuse to take cash. Uh, uh, we're here in Melbourne, and quite a sort of uh, famous cafe has just said it, it's sick of being robbed and no longer will it accept cash, and there's a an upmarket butcher shop chain that won't take cash because they say it's not as hygienic as using cards. Does that have a sort of demonstrable effect in the a network effect as well? Um, it can have a, a demonstrable effect, I think, but um, I mean, my own personal view is that this is just something that's about choice, just as consumers should have choice in what they use. Merchants also should have choice in what they take. And some merchants, quite rightly, look at, at costs of cash um, in terms of perhaps uh, stealing or, or uh, hygiene or whatever and decide that, for them, they would prefer um, credit card and debit card transactions. And, and provided they have those choices and those options available to them, I think that's fine for them to take those decisions. And, of course, the other factor that's important here is, is policy. And the Reserve Bank, through the Payment Systems Board, um, regulates and makes policy in payments. Um, how certain can you be with policy? I know you know surcharging in 2003 was banned, and now the consumer, um, the ACC is back involved. Uh, how do you decide when to step in with actual policy and when to let the market just sort of run? I think the key with it, so the payment system board and the bank, really what we're looking at is issues of competition and efficiency, but also safety. And the way we would typically operate is, is by talking to uh, participants in the market, talking to stakeholders, determining where there might be material efficiency and, and competition gains, and seeing if the market can address that by itself or whether there might be some sort of market failure that requires the bank to step in. So our preference is not to regulate. Our preference really is to let the market work and where there are issues for the industry to self-regulate. Um, so, But having said that, there are occasions where we have stepped in in the past, um, which you're alluding to, and, and a couple of those are interchange and surcharging. When we look at the... You make some comments, or the, the um, authors of the survey make some comments about what's happening around the world, but when, when you look at the payments patterns in Australia compared with, say, New Zealand or with Asia, are we particularly different? Or is there sort of common trends? There are common trends all around the world, really. Um, and I'd make a couple of points about Asia, I suppose. The first is that there are some countries in Asia who are still very heavy cash users. Um, some of them are, the, are sort of countries that are, are still um, middle-income sort of developing countries. 
Um, surprisingly, one of them is Japan. Japan is a very heavy cash-using society. Um, it has a, a, a high currency-to-GDP ratio relative to quite a few countries. Um, having said that, there are many which are also well on the way to electronic payments. So Hong Kong has long, of course, had a, a transport card that, that also acts as a, a prepaid sort of uh, card around around shops. Uh, Singapore is reasonably well advanced in in electronic payments as a, um, is, a as is Korea. Um, and China, of course, is is moving along with um, some very innovative um, uh, payment systems. So they've got Alipay, of course, um, and um, uh, WeChat, which have worked into developing payment systems surrounding their social networks. So um, there's, there's lots going on in this space generally. Um, as I said, everyone's sort of heading in similar directions, but it depends very much on where you start from, you know. So we, we started from a base where we had relatively high um, uh, penetration of terminals in Australia, so that's made it easier for us, electronic terminals, it's made it easier for us to, to roll out um, the contactless. The contactless actually, I think, in Australia is, is reasonably high penetration. And it's interesting you mention um, what's happening in China with Alipay and WeChat Pay, and they use a, a QR code, which is a sort of, what, couple of centimetre square, black and white looking thing that you point your phone at, um, which we don't really see in Australia. Is that, is that a, a technology that's just evolved in China, or would you expect to see Australians pick up that kind of payment? Um, it's possible. I mean, that they will they will come to Australia. Um, again, I think it depends very much on where you've come from. Um, QR codes in Australia, I don't think, took off um, sort of as they did in other places overseas. And I think the other point is that the QR code solution, I think if you don't have um, sort of a very heavy penetration of electronic terminals, it allows um, merchants to take cards in effect with using these... Or, take payments using these QR codes. But as I said, we've actually got historically a very heavy penetration of electronic terminals, which goes back um, to the FPOS system in the 1990s. And so we've sort of built on that rather than building a completely new payment system based on another sort of system, QR codes. The other thing that's emerging in Australia or will emerge um, well, in a couple of months really is the real-time payment system, the new payments platform. How do you expect to see that alter our, our spending habits? So I think there's a couple of ways in, in which that might do. Let me just make, before I answer that, give it, make a couple of points about, about cash. There's two areas in which cash, I think, was sort of superior, if you like, or, or had benefits to it that certain other payment methods didn't have. One, it was quick for small value transactions. And as we've already talked about, actually, contactless has sort of solved that problem now. But the other way that cash sort of was um, had advantages over many other payment mechanisms was you could make person-to-person -person payments very easily on the spot in real time. I can give someone cash and they've automatically got the money. At the moment, uh, that's not so easy using electronic payment methods because it often has to go through the bank systems overnight and you might take a day or two before the money can be transferred. So I think potentially what the new payments platform is delivering is 
almost one of the last bastions of cash, which is very quick person-to-person payments that you can't do using other methods at the moment except except for cash. So I think you'll see um, increasingly, and you know, it's it's obviously going to develop over time. The system has been designed to work on a utility with um, competition in developing overlay services, innovative services on the outside. And I think what you'll see is you'll see services developed that offer all sorts of possible real-time services to people. And you might start to see it eat into the traditional interbank transfer uh, that, um, you know, I might give you uh, in, um, in transferring money to you. Uh, yeah, and that's uh, along with, with cash, you know, cheques are also dwindling. That's more an age thing, though, with cheques, is it, rather than the ability to, say, make a direct payment to another person? It's t- I think it's two things. I think um, it is certainly an age thing. So the survey demonstrates that demographically, predominantly, cheques are used by older generations and they're comfortable with that. But there also is a, is, is a sort of a chunk of transactions for which cheques actually are quite convenient and, and, and we haven't quite solved the problem of how to actually substitute for cheques and the new payments platform might also provide some of that. So, you know, it's sort of the issue of um, I don't have your bank account details, um, I don't know your BSB, I don't know your nine-digit number, I'll just give you a cheque and you can bank it. Mm. Um, the new payments platform, in particular its ability to address things very easily without knowing all those details, might help to solve that problem. Having said that, there are some people who are not comfortable with technology, so it might be that there's a, there's a, a need to sort of monitor what's going on with some of the people who use cheques very heavily and how can we provide alternatives for them um, to cheques. So, uh, Michelle, I know you're an economist and I know economists love making forecasts. In, in five <laughs> years' time, how do you expect the survey to have... Um, do you expect the survey to have captured radically different payment trends? Do you think we're on the cusp of big movement or do you expect it to be gradual still? I think we'll still consider, we'll still continue to see the use of cash in day-to-day transactions decline. Um, I still think it will be a relatively important payment mechanism. I think uh, there's a lot of people who still use it. Uh, the survey tells us that there's a lot of people who, who like to use it for budgeting purposes. Um, so I think there's still a demand for it. Um, I think we'll start to see um, the... Possibly you'll start to see some of the new... Uh, payment mechanisms coming from overseas. I wouldn't be surprised if we see a little bit of Alipay and WeChat. Um, So it's gradual, I think. I don't think we're accelerating, but I expect to see similar trends moving moving forward for the next few years. Yeah, sometimes you can be surprised by how quickly things change, as with the the tap and go we've seen, but it's always fascinating. Um, Thanks very much for taking the time to, to speak with Blue Notes, Michelle. It's a pleasure, Andrew. And hopefully we'll catch up, uh, well, before the next survey, but um, we'll have a look at the next one in three years' time. Will do. Thanks very much. Bye now. Thank you for listening to Blue Notes On Air. Blue Notes On Air was produced by the Blue Notes editorial team with music by Kevin MacLeod. Blue Notes is a publication of AMZ Banking Group.